0: Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 195, and today I'm gonna be sharing my interview with a knowledgeable, passionate, and vibrant woman who has been partnering with top-tier corporate executives and entrepreneurs to develop their personal and professional brands for more than 20 years, with an emphasis on the gem and jewelry industry since 2013. She also specializes in a very interesting niche of the jewelry industry, Supporting jewelers who make proprietary and branded products, specifically proprietary diamond cuts. Through her branding expertise and her post-purchase navigating training program, she helps jewelers protect their brand valuation post-purchase. More on her in just a little bit, but here's a preview of what we'll be covering. The role that brand storytelling plays in marketing, especially for a unique and or proprietary product, what the jewelry industry needs more of, why and how jewelry brands should care about post-purchase valuation, as well as the customer experience overall, and more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component. So you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers. And you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. I want to read my favorite review of the week. Debbie Co says, quote, this podcast is a must for all jewelers. Larissa provides so much value with actionable tips and relevant interviews. I love that each episode starts with a recap of three important articles related to jewelry marketing. This alone is so helpful to me as I grow my business. If you're in the jewelry industry and you aren't listening to this podcast, now is the time. End quote. Thank you. I really appreciate that. If you leave a review, I might read it on a future episode. So please let me know what you think about this episode or any other major takeaways you've had recently. I'm so excited to announce that the Joy Joya podcast has its very first sponsor. After self-funding this podcast since 2018 when I launched it, I've now decided to seek outside sponsors to help me build the resources I'll need to keep improving upon this podcast and making it better for you. I have big ideas for this podcast and those require funds and support, so if you're interested in being a Joy a podcast sponsor and seeing the sales kit to reach a more dedicated niche audience of jewelry business owners and leaders than you might be getting from other advertising venues, Please email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. So this episode is sponsored by Chris Mella, maker of the most secure earring back in the world. If you're not watching on YouTube, please visit the Joy Joya channel to see my demo of the only earring back that automatically fits, locks and lifts all types of earrings. So I just want to show you the really beautiful and luxe packaging. That if you are a wholesale partner of Chris Mella, this is what you would be sharing with your customers. And I also have a little bit, a little demo stud earring set here with the earring back on it. So I just want to show you how amazingly this won't come off (laughs) i can even like ruin this earring stand and these earring backs are not coming off they're pretty awesome have you been seeking unique gift with purchase ideas for your jewelry business especially with the upcoming holidays are you hoping to increase your average order value for any jewelry business that sells post earrings Chrismella is a high quality solution that enables you to provide a better customer experience and instills confidence in your clientele. Mayumi Ishii, the exclusive U.S. distributor of Chris Mella, was even a past guest on the Joy Joya podcast in episode 71 if you'd like to check out her interview. Joy Joya listeners and viewers who are interested in learning more about partnering with Chris Mella can email Mayumi at info at C-H-R-Y-S-M-E dot L-A. Chris Mella offers white labeling as well as wholesale opportunities. That's info at chrismet. And please make sure to mention that you learned about Chris Mella through the Joy Joya podcast. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my sparkle award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. So this Sparkle Award goes to Swarovski, and I found out about a new campaign they're doing from an article in Adweek, which I'll link in the show notes. So I recently saw this article about the brand, and I was super impressed by their unique approach to storytelling on social media. They've recently partnered with English actress, Amy Lou Wood, to create a video-based marketing campaign that helps consumers, quote, recognize and express what is right for them as they aim for better, end quote. So in this little like video series, that's really cute and fun, Amy finds herself all dressed up when suddenly her companion cancels the plan at the last minute and she suddenly has free time to do whatever she likes. And it's really cute. She kind of has this moment of self-care, of like having time with herself, and she keeps repeating the phrase note to self and reminding herself of things that she should be doing, like napping for exactly 17 minutes because that's the optimal time to nap, meditating, editing her wardrobe. And then as she's having these thoughts, actually showing the more real imperfect side of herself. She's dancing, oversleeping, indulging in her love for fashion, It's really cute and relatable and shows that everyone is imperfect and that sometimes having a little bit of fun with life is more important than just being perfect all the time. It also tells the story of a brand that's really made for real women who are perfectly imperfect and embracing just what makes them happy. The videos will be distributed through the brand and through the actress's social media channels. I thought it was really cute and unique and a fun approach to brand storytelling. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get the links to these articles by checking out the show notes. The first article comes from martech.org, and it's called The Only Two Things That Matter in Marketing. I love this. There's only two things. Very cool. So business owners and leaders tend to get really overwhelmed by marketing because there are so many things you feel you should be doing. It gets complicated. You have FOMO. You feel like you're just missing the one thing that's going to change and grow your business. There are so many technologies, tools, and tactics that promise to be the ultimate savior and the next best thing. But this recent article from MarTech really simplifies marketing down to the essential elements. I love that. Here's a great quote from the article. Quote, most people think of marketing simply as a creative endeavor. After all, the visual and written components that are the cornerstone of all marketing collateral are creative work. However, marketing is more of a process than it is a creative effort. End quote. So what are these two essential things that will help you simplify your marketing and make it less about just the creativity and like the guessing game of it all? These things are experimentation and optimization. In marketing, you always need to be trying new things so that you can really find out what works for your brand, but you can't just keep trying new things willy-nilly and like throwing darts at the wall and hoping something sticks, you also need to have a way to measure your experiments and then implement an optimization process as well. So you can keep moving forward and optimizing the things that are working. And this is the most important, quickly letting go of things that aren't working. So I think this article really poses an important question and this is another quote that I think sums it up really well. How many experiments are you running every month? How much time and resources do you spend on optimizing your marketing versus creating and launching new efforts? Both experimentation and optimization are essential. End quote. The next article comes from Retail Brew and it's LVMH America's CTO on the bold connection strategy that will define luxury retail. So Antoine Tessier is the VP and CTO at LVMH Americas. He's been working in luxury retail for 17 years and he's pretty much seen it all according to this article. So he thinks that connection, just that one one word, one concept is the key pillar to the future of both luxury and retail. And connection has only been heightened with technologies like virtual and augmented reality, which really grew more popular during the pandemic, when people couldn't go to stores, when they had to really depend on e-commerce to do their shopping. Even things like Web3, and the metaverse has kind of started to catch on with some of the biggest luxury trends because it kind of provides this new method of connection and immersion. And he sees that as a trend that doesn't seem to be dying down. So the luxury customer and that luxury customer's needs remain the same, but they are becoming a bit more acquainted with new technologies and they see the concept of connection as expanding. So it's not just in store with the salesperson, but in all of these other ways. Another really great and important quote from this article, quote, while customers flocking to Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok have proven their appetite for video-based content, luxury brands that want to stay relevant to customers will need to invest in technology," end quote. I mean, that's kind of like full stop that that's everything. I think the jewelry brand, especially at the higher end, need to be thinking about technology and how technology can facilitate connection even further. And the last article comes from The Street, and it's called Pandora CEO Talks Affordable Luxury and the Price of Silver. So Pandora CEO, Alexander Lasik, recently spoke to The Street about everything from jewelry demand to the price of silver. As we all know, you listeners and viewers of the podcast, jewelry is a discretionary purchase, meaning nobody needs to have jewelry. And in any discretionary category, it's truly up to the jewelry brand or any brand in this category to convince the consumers that you have something interesting, something worth paying attention to. That was true throughout the pandemic, before the pandemic, and now. You can't just sit back and assume that people do want to buy, that people aren't buying right now. You have to continue telling that interesting story. So CEO LASIK said that a lot of analysts have told Pandora to close their stores and go online only. But here's the thing I found the most interesting about this article. LASIK really knows the Pandora customer. He says, quote, we could have, but it's a really bad idea. 60% of my customers are guys who are buying jewelry, and I'm sorry, but they need the help, end quote. So even though these analysts are recommending to Pandora to take a certain action, Pandora is actually fully tuned in to who their target customer is, and they're not going to make decisions that jeopardize the relationship they have with the target customer. Pandora has kind of smaller boutique-sized stores. They don't have a lot of inventory stocked in the stores, but really what LASIK understands about his customers is that people are looking for the experience. They want to interact with the salespeople. They want the guidance to make the purchase. So that ultimately is really important and it's the thing that they're gonna keep pushing in the storytelling and continue to make decisions based on that knowledge. So I love that kind of being directed by the target customer. And I love how that is reflected and communicated in this interview. So for more information about any of these articles, check out the links provided in the show notes. Without further delay, I'd love to share with you my guest. I first met Tammy Cohen at this year's AGS Conclave event in Oklahoma City, and I was immediately captivated by her warm and encouraging energy. She's a true extrovert and people person, and she's a vocal supporter of other women in business. Her passion for the jewelry industry just radiates off of her. As I mentioned in the episode intro, she's partnered with top-tier corporate execs and entrepreneurs to develop their personal and professional brands for more than 20 years with an emphasis on the gem and jewelry industry since 2013. Her business, TC Brand Consulting, utilizes dynamic brand positioning novel educational programs, and critical industry partnerships to grow brand sales exponentially. She also sees opportunities for women to thrive and grow exponentially and founded a women's business network called Women Beyond the Table. Let's chat with Tammy. So, what's exciting to you about the industry right now? What is like getting you like riled up? What are you looking out out there that's that's fun
1: No, I'm just like so excited that I mean everybody I speak to their businesses how to quote it insane they're just doing a lot of business and it's still happening and even with um you know these predictions of high the inflation's going up and we haven't even started to see the recession and it's gonna be a shit show and it's it's gonna be crazy and Yes, and this and that, um, there's still this optimism. And, you know, I think it's also what's exciting are that after the last two years, you know, where people were kind of like in a lockdown mode and which they're really kind of moving away from, I think this will be a great year to celebrate even more because people will be able to be together, even though travel is... <laughs> I just got back from being two weeks overseas and if you take out flying and airports and airports and luggage delays, it's amazing. Once you get somewhere, it's fantastic. Yeah. The the airport part, maybe not so much. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't even want to tell you like flight cancellations and sleeping in Madrid in the airport and crazy stuff, but yeah, you have no idea. But you know what? Um, I just feel like the industry seems to, with all of the challenges, that are going on, and, and, and with the continued situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine and, and the restrictions on rough and all kinds of things that are coming on, people are still wanting to celebrate and wanting to you know, mark, uh, buy a piece of jewelry because it means something to them. So I think that's really exciting. And I think the hybrid nature now of in store and digital is a beautiful thing. Because, you know, for a while there, it was like digital, 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 digital. And you see the stores are, you know, coming back and people still want to go in and have that in-person experience and how I like seeing the jewelry industry responsive instead of being the traditional mindset of, you know, oh, we don't, you know, we're not doing any of that. So they really got on board with the digital end of things and really taking it to the next level, but also the in-person in-store and how the sales staff and how all the staffs are like coming together and they're bringing technology, uh, not just for technology's sake, but because technology will actually help the customer and help them do their jobs better. I think the jewelry industry is investing more in people. And I think that they're starting to understand that messaging is really important, but also understanding what their customers want and making it simple for their customers. I don't think that was a thought before. I think the old guard was more about maximizing numbers and the new guard is not about maximizing numbers. Of course, you have to look, you have to make sales, but it's it's a much bigger picture. There's so much more in the story. And I'm also getting excited about the metaverse because yes. I've been listening to a couple of webinars there and I think it's it's really interesting and cool. I've been I've been taking time trying to understand that because I'm of a different generation, and I, I speak to my kids about NFTs and they're just like a uh, duh, and I'm just like what? And I don't still don't get it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think there's a I, I I like seeing that our industry is moving forward instead of always being so traditional and stuck you know, in, 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 a decade or something.
0: It's really true. So much positivity there. I feel already inspired by all the things that you said and excited. So tell Yeah, I, I'm
1: trying to, I, I think positivity is where it's at because the more you put out positivity, it changes the energy and energy is everywhere. It's it's a living thing, you know? Absolutely.
0: So tell our listeners and viewers, give them some background information. How did you get into the jewelry industry and how has your path evolved over time? Let's hear it.
1: Well, this is most people don't realize this when all through high school when I started at age 15, I think the roles were different back then. I, you know, in the 70s, I my first real job was in a, a jewelry retailer store and that was in the five towns and the big store back then was Marvin and Sons and it was the store in the five towns and my mother at the time worked there she was the head of um, appraisals and the estate division and she had gone to the GIA and you know and I, I went to that store, I started working after school and I went every day and I worked late Wednesday nights and all day Sunday and Saturday. And I just, no, it was closed Sunday, I worked all day Saturday and I loved it. I said, wow, this is so cool. And when I, when I think back on it, that store was interesting because although it was family run and it was family owned and it was basically the whole family was involved with it, each department was run by a, a woman. And that was very unusual in the seventies. That's cool. So you had these, like, real, you know, these women on the floor, especially the uh, the old time salesperson. Um, It was always a well put together woman from 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 the Five Towns who knew her stuff. They knew how to negotiate. And these customers would come and only want to work with their salesperson. They had these relationships. There was nothing met. There was no social media. There was no cell phones. There was no internet. There was nothing. It was all about relationships. And the store was busy all the time. People would come in. They didn't care. And they would come in and spend hours because they hung out with their trusted advisor. And whether it was giftware, whether it was the luxury side, whether it was like the center, or uh, were all of like the gold, you know, we sold gold pieces and chains and all kinds of things and watch brands. And there was a stringing department, the repair department, even gift wrapping. I mean, anything you could think of was woman run. And these women ran a tight ship and I learned so much. And I was, when I look back on it, I was so fortunate because I was rotated because I was so young. I was rotated to every department and I worked like even into my my freshman year of college, I was working there. It was years. I even worked in um, like in the in the operations in the basement in customer service, <laughs> answering the phones, selling on the floor. I became a stringer. I had to learn how to string pearls and oh, beads. Cool. I sold watches. <laughs> I sold luxury. I sold anything. I had to work behind the repair counter. I learned a lot. I even went to gift wrap I wasn't good in gift wrap though, I could not wrap the box as well. <laughs> I went into giftware. It was just was like, you, you I wouldn't even expect that anybody like would do these kind of things today. And the store doesn't exist anymore because the neighborhood changed so much. Um, the five tens really changed. And anybody who was not a Sabbath observer, or store or open on Saturdays and closed on Sundays, it just, they just lost out and they didn't recognize that their customer changed. Mm -hmm. That was one of the the things that I learned. But for me, I was in college and then I went for an MBA after college and I came out and I said, Hey, you know, I, I really love, I was, my MBA was in marketing management and I had been in the garment center uh, in fashion, and I was working in my family business, which was set, sweater production, traveling around the country and working with accounts and doing their sweater programs, and I decided, you know, I really want to go out and open up my own consulting firm, and I want to help small businesses with their marketing. And hots clots, somewhere in there, I was working with different companies. I wound up working with small jewelry businesses. And it all kind of came back, and uh, and I wound up going to get – I wound up getting a client that was a really big player site holder. They were a global, and um, I then just, like, focused on them for years because they had this uh, very cool proprietary cut, and I was learning a lot about that, and it kind of took me into a whole new place. So I was always working on the branding side, but then I got into – the post-purchase valuation side while working with that client. So that's pretty much my journey of how I came here. But, you know, COVID, of course, changed a lot of things up for me and took me to another place with, within my business. So it's a little different than what it was three years ago. It's actually a lot different, but um, that's pretty much my journey.
0: Oh, that's really cool and interesting. So what is the focus <laughs> of your consulting business now? How, how are you, like, setting yourself apart in the marketplace
1: well, I'll tell you what I learned during COVID. Okay. After you know, hiring a business coach and hiring a life coach and <laughs> doing the, this personal growth and Mind Valley and Tony Robbins and Lifebook and just changing every every area of my life, I'm learning how to have a healthy lifestyle and how to think differently and how to um, change my mindset and limiting beliefs. I realized that I had you know I can't continually you know make a choice of putting my cookies in one basket, or my eggs in one basket, as they say. I realized I had to expand myself. I had to get out there. I had gotten very comfortable um, in a niche, and and I was good at it, and I still am good at it, but I realized I could really have to expand myself. So um, during COVID, I really went out there and went from a sole proprietorship to an LLC, and opened up a website, and uh, opened up social media and did things I was not doing at all before because I was very busy traveling and I was very comfortable. And uh, yeah, it was a big ex- It was really quite a big discovery time and I was exploring different things. And I realized that I love brand messaging. Like branding is a huge continuum, but I love telling the story. And I feel that that's something in our industry that still needs, needs some work because... I look at it, the industry is getting much better with it, but I'm still speaking with clients who are like, can you fix my website? Can you help me with my social media? And I'm like, whoa, like you're, I'm looking at your website and your social media, but it's it's not about fixing these things. It's not about changing your visuals or giving you a marketing idea. It's about what you're, your, your messaging is so all over the place and what you're saying. And I think now the difference is that, we're at a point where we have to be able to understand and explain, like our what is our mission statement, what are our core values, what is our vision. Once you got that down, and once you understand who you are and what your ethics are and what you, was it important, everything else comes into place. Any graphic designer can work with with somebody, with a company, with a brand that is clear about who they are and clear about who their audience is. That's, and that's what I think is still taking time for you know, our industry to understand. And then also following it through, like going straight across all of the channels. And I got very into uh, a niche of post-purchase valuation, which I think is what separates me because I'll take the brand from the message. But the key is, is once you sell, do you hold your value? Because... Lots of appraisers out there, you know, they understand, especially the credential ones of how to do valuation, but are you, are you truly branded? Are you truly uh, communicating the right messaging that you can set your value and that that value will be placed because that appraiser will contact you for value? And that's where, where there was always disconnect. And I always found it amazing that nobody was addressing it because most appraisers would just use, a, you know, an industry price list. And value something because everything that was done through retail or custom work, it was never branded. It was just done. Oh, here's a custom piece. So we're going to we're going to price this generically and we're going to value it generically. And that's that to me was where there was kind of like misalignment. So that's what makes me unique. Like that's where my focus is, is on the messaging side and on taking that value and making sure that that customer When they go to get their piece of praise, it's valued correctly because that can kill a sale in two seconds and undervalue. And it does all the time. I see it happen so many times.
0: It's so interesting. And I can really relate to what you said about the brand messaging. I know. And kind of like taking it back a few steps and going back to like the foundation of the brand. I know a lot of like clients or brands, when they approach me, they're like, I need help with this, this, and this, but really... It's like, we need to take it back a few steps and go back to the true like foundation of your messaging of your business. And that can be a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people because you have to tear down a little bit what you've built and get back to the core of it. But I think in the long run, it's worth it.
1: Absolutely. And you know, it has to be the truth. Like I've, I've, I've worked with companies and I've seen where they're like, Okay I have a logo and I have colors and yeah and I'm a brand and I'm like, you're not a brand and they're just what do you mean and, and <laughs> they're kind of like talking about and then they're like, okay, I'm gonna do some social responsibility I'm gonna I'm gonna support this I'm I'm listen I'm socially responsible I'm like you're not <laughs> like it's not you're not <laughs> you can't just like pick and choose what you want. And then, okay, I'm, 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 this is what I am. This is who I am. You have to have, like, there has to be a platform and it has to, like you said, a foundation of consistency of truth, you know, because you can't, you can't pull the wool over people's eyes. It's just, people are savvy and it's just not the right thing to do. And, you know, somebody said something to me in this industry and he's, he's a mentor of mine. Um, he's a really great guy. And he said to me, you know, after being in the industry 30 years, he goes, you know, I'm at the point where I only want to work with good people. (laughs) And I said, wow, that's, yeah, I only want to work with good people. And I'm also of that age. I haven't been in in this industry as long. I was in other industries, but you get to the point where you're like, you know what? I'd rather walk away from something than walk into something where it's not, it's not, it's not truth. It's not, it's something else, you know, and I and unfortunately you see it sometimes and you have to like walk away and it's not easy because you, who wants to walk away from pay or whatever or a job, but you also have to live with yourself. So that's been important to me.
0: Yeah. So who is the target customer that you enjoy working with the most? What's your sp- sweet spot with that?
1: Well, I love the artisan, the craftsman, the bench jeweler. I love these people who've been producing and supplying the industry for 30 years, for years. And their work is stellar. Their quality is beautiful. And their, st- their story is amazing of how they learned and how they've been working so diligently, but nobody knows who they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people in the industry will know, like the big brand they're supplying, the, the, the retailer they're supplying knows their name, but the client doesn't, like the, the end customer, the end consumer. And I think, like, I like to see these people get starts you know going d to c and being able to build their own brands because they've been doing it for so long and they've they've done it for other people they've just been supplying so much of them so they've always been my niche um i always resonate with them and and i i respect i respect the work that they do so i try to align myself with people who are producing quality and people who take a lot of care and what they're putting out um I'm not a mass girl. Although I'm not saying mass merchants don't have quality, but I'm looking. For, I always tend to gravitate towards those high-end suppliers because I love their 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 the way they work, and I love the the attention to detail and what's important to them. And that's who uh, that's who my client tends to be. Uh, but you know, I find also now it's very interesting that I'm having conversations with larger um, clients who are thinking, wow, this whole post-purchase thing is very interesting. They've developed brands and they're like, nobody's talking to me about that. That's different. So it's like two different things are going on right now. And I find both of them um, fascinating.
0: Yeah. yeah. You touched very much earlier about the proprietary diamond cut aspect and how you've worked with that. And especially in post-purchase valuation, it's like such a specific niche in this industry. And it's super fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about how you got involved with proprietary diamond cuts and what's the potential with the post-purchase
1: valuation? Well, it's very interesting. <laughs> so I when I was working with the site holder and they had um, put out a, they didn't develop it. They didn't develop this cut. It was developed by another site holder, but they were, they took it on. They took the inventory. It was patented. Um, and it was fascinating. It was, it just fascinated me because this cut was so radically different than anything I'd ever seen. And it had a lot of challenges because, you know, back then people just, the industry just was like, what's this? Um, and, I just had to come in there and learn. And I spent so much time like talking to the master cutter, speaking with the grading laboratories, watching the studies, getting involved with it. And I'm very much into light. I'm a person of light. I believe light is everywhere. I, light is, is just, you know, it's so important. And one thing that diamonds do, it's, 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 it's mathematics. It's moving light. OK, that's what these facets are supposed to do. They're supposed to move light. And I just fell in love with the whole intricacy of it. And because I worked on a product, I was lucky in the fact and I say this to this. I was lucky that I came in on a product that had challenges, because when you have challenges, you have to think out of the box and you have to like figure out how to make it work. Uh, You know, when you go into a company and you start working with a Tiffany or a Cartier or, you know, one of these major amazing brands, you have a lot of resources at your fingertips. Plus, you also have an audience that's open because the marketing and the branding and it's it's years and it's there. When you walk into something that's not known um, and the resources aren't necessarily there, you kind of have to really learn and think. And I have to admit that um, one of the best things that I ever did was just reach out to American Gem Society Laboratories. They are, they are an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, group, and they did all the studies, the life performance studies. They are the ones who study proprietary cuts, and I learned so much listening to them, Jason Quick and, and, and you know, just listen to how they think and how um, they look at things. So for me, it was a big learning process. And I said, wow, I love this. I love learning about proprietary cuts. And I be, kind of became that, that the proprietary cut person. Like I went to all of the conferences, the gemological conferences, I attended all the appraisal conferences, and I had to talk about this cut that had all of these challenges. And you know what? They started accepting, because I was able to, to show them that the claim is true how this diamond sparkles and how it's different than any other cut and what it does and what it, and I was always very straightforward about what it does and what it doesn't do. And that at the end of the day, it's proprietary, it's patented, it's a trademark product. I started learning these terms and what they mean. And I started understanding use path and how this has to, how you have to support a branded proprietary patented product, it's different. So once I got the gemolo- the gemological world and the appraisers to start understanding this, I, I just, you know, took it to the next level. And I started building like a whole valuation program for this particular cut. And I learned a lot. And what happened was um, over time, I, I, I started loving the whole story of natural diamonds and how a diamond gets comes out of the ground and how it gets cut and how it gets found and how it gets cut. And it's sitting there billions of years, millions of years, and then here it is, and it's going to be cut, and how it's cut. And I went to um, Africa, and I went to the cut polish facilities, and it just was fascinating to me. Anything about diamonds is fascinating. And, you know, like, I'm a natural diamond girl, you could tell. I mean, I I, I love that. And it's always something that resonates to me. But I I do get lab grown, and I do get the market for that. I understand that it exists. But for me... It's, you know, working with these master genius cutters who just know how to put together no no faceting, know the angles, the measurements, proportions that make light and make light travel inside a stone. It's just a story unto itself. And I'll tell you what one of the master cutters said to me. He said, you know, diamonds, remember this, diamonds are marketed on love, and legacy, and celebration, and all kinds of things. It's emotional. But a well-cut diamond's mathematics. And every, every cutter I've ever worked with, as, and including the laboratories I've worked with, these are mathematicians. They're not computer guys. They're not software people. They're mathematicians. Because those angles and those measurements are where it's at, and that's math. So that was a big... Uh, learning thing for me. And as a, as a student who never did well in math and who would sit and listen to their angle measurement discussions and be like, "What? what are you talking about? It's just, it's fascinating. It's a story in itself.
0: That's so cool. So speaking, kind of building upon what you said about the love and emotion part of it, you know, obviously that's what most consumers would connect with because they, I mean, right. they might be interested in the math part, especially if that's like something that's a natural inclination for them, but what role does brand storytelling play in like kind of selling that magic and romance of those cuts to the end consumer?
1: Well, it's very interesting you said that because one of the things I had to do um, amongst all my other tasks was train. I had to go and train the staff on how to speak about it. And I also found myself speaking directly to customers I uh, was in many videos that were played you know, in markets that the start was sold in, ex- talking to customers and explaining the process. And you know what? I found that the customers want to know it's under the hood. It's They they want to know what makes it different. They want to understand, like, why is this different and what does it mean? Now, um, one of the things I did was uh, it was recommended to me by another mentor of mine who's uh, a, a master valuer in the industry, and she's also a journalist. She's uh, an author, she ha- writes columns in all of our industry um, uh, publications. And she said, you know, we have to develop, what you'd be smart to do is to develop a scope that shows what this diamond does with light, okay? And she introduced me to a scope manufacturer, a precision gemological scope manufacturer out in LA, and like I did with AGS, I sent some stones over and he was like, wow, this is a really cool stone. It's like, so much, there's so much light, it's like the galaxy, it's stars. And I'm like, I want you to create the scope that can show this at different light um, angles and measurements. And he was like, yep. So he worked on it and he developed a scope. And once the customer had that scope and was able to look in and watch literally, it was, it was a simple concept of light hitting the tops of two different diamonds. One was the proprietary cut, and the other diamond was any diamond they wanted to choose in the store, including their own jewelry. It's it. We didn't say, oh, it has to be this or that. Choose whatever you want. As a matter of fact, I would say, you know, choose something better color, better clarity. Choose whatever stone you want. Let's put it together in the light. Let's look at light. And because the scope was able to adjust lighting measurements, so you could go from any light angle or, Remember, people sit in restaurants, it's darker. People will go to a club, it's darker. People be outside in the light. So there's different lighting environments. We let them manipulate them all. And they see with their eyes what the proprietary cup did and how it bounced and how it was going crazy and sparkling. And they get it. They were like, I get it. Um, and then we talk about legacy and giving their, you know, giving something different, giving something that, has a different meaning, giving, um, and, and, and you know, it was very effective too, because the cut, the shape of the stone was so different from a round brilliant, we would actually say, okay, we put some round brilliant diamonds, we put uh, branded round brilliant cuts, and then we put like three of them down, I'm not gonna name names, and then we put the proprietary cut, and we'd say, which one is which? which, one is, is which? And they immediately knew which one was a proprietary cut, because they couldn't tell you which one was this, which one was that on the round brilliance. They all looked the same, but they knew exactly which one was a different cut because it looked different, even though it was a round shape also. So we I, I had a way of like sharing science and treating the guests, not just like, let's just talk about love and all that, which is really important in emotion, but let's educate. Because you know what they wanted to know what made it different, how is this blueprint different what how how is the amount of facets? what does it mean? how does the light travel through? how does it produce this sparkle they they got caught up in that story, and then of course, you know it was it was beautiful, and they wanted something different, and they wanted to be able to show their friends how it. In the dark, it sparkled. And we gave them a lot of tools, a lot of great things that they could bring home so they could show their friends exactly why their diamond's different. Because it looked different physically and it performed differently than other round brilliants in the market and it was around shape. So that was one of the things that I realized is that you have to, like, when you speak to the customer, you have to give them education and also emotion. And you can't just, like, not bother. Um, you also have to listen to your customer. Listen, sometimes customer just wants something pretty and they don't want to hear it, of course. But for me, I always like giving the extra education. And I found that when I gave it to the staff, they they were able to list the attributes. It didn't become a conversation about price. This diamond costs way more than a generic round brilliant. Okay. We never discussed the price. We talked about the attributes, what makes it different. And people want different.
0: That's so fascinating. And not just the education part, but really what you described was like the interactivity of the customer experience, like letting them see it, touch it, compare, and like actually inviting them into this thing that might only be reserved for like gemologists typically, you know, like giving them kind of like a peek behind the curtain in a way. And I really love that as well.
1: Yeah, they really loved, uh, you know, the scope and we also, we, you know, started also, uh, bringing in other kinds of microscopes where they can see the, you know, the, they we had the diamonds inscribed, um, with a serial number and a logo, and then they could see the, the light moving through. Also, like we try to keep it as interactive for them as possible so that they, they really felt like you said, like they were scientists or they were gemologists or they're, and you know, and that that's that's really what built it. But for us, it was always talking about the difference. You know, it was always about sharing, like you're getting something different and unique, and that's where it was for them, and and proving it and showing it to them. So I think that was that was how. That's for me what it is about proprietary cuts. I always find what's different about them. I always see what's different about them and I try to make it, you know, like this is different and people like different. Like I said that, you know, branding is really happening more and more in our industry because brands can communicate a difference. And if you can communicate your attributes better than the next person, you're going to have your, your audience is going to listen. So true.
0: And there's a lot of same, same in this industry too. So if you actually do have something different, you know, making that a strong point, I think is very important. So um, I agree, <laughs> Tammy, so you also work with a global network of appraisers and you're an advocate of brand storytelling for, like we said, the post-purchase valuation. What's what's your relationship to the appraiser group in the part of the industry? How does that play a role into all of this?
1: Wow. Appraisers to me are, you know, they're like, they're like the the salt of the earth, you know? Um, First of all, I had to learn, I had to learn a lot about that, about appraising, because, you know, there's a big difference between a GJ, a graduate gemologist and an appraiser. And most, and customers don't know the difference. They don't understand that uh, a, a graduate gemologist is not an appraiser. Because graduate gemologist is taught how to identify a stone. That's what they're taught how to do. They're not taught valuation. It depends on the gemology school if they're offering that coursework. And that has a different designation and different uh, initials after the name than GJ. Um, I always would say, you know, uh, customers would say to me, oh, I went to the Praiser and he's a GIAGG and I'd be like, that's great. But GIA does not teach valuation. So it does, it's not, you're not, not, you need to speak with somebody. I would call them credentialed. What's a credentialed appraiser? What's an accredited appraiser? That's somebody who is, they are a a GJ, whatever gemological school they've gone to. And then they continue the process of learning valuation. They go through rigorous testing. They go through certification. They have to redo the certifications. And they give in a different designation from GJ. And, you know you want to see, it's like the specialist, you want to see a credentialed appraiser who follows USPAP, who understands the guidelines of the industry, who goes to the, who's a member of an appraisal organization, so that they get up-to-date information constantly, and they are taking their certification regularly, they're recertifying. Um, so it's very important. And I personally started once I started understanding it, I kind of became like the appraiser whisperer. You know, I started going to all I was going to all their conferences and talking to them, and I was like, okay, I need to explain to the staff. I need to train brands, the staff, I need to train everybody on what is the difference between a an appraiser and a graduate gemologist, and why it's important to see a credentialed appraiser. And, you know, I I, I started learning and 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 teaching these kind of, you know, um, analogy stories. Like I would, I would talk about you're building a building in the middle of a city, right? And you're the architect and you're the head of construction and you're building the city. You know, every beam in that building, you know, every piece of information about that building, the architect, this is amazing. You, you, you're, you're in charge of that building and you know everything about that building. You can identify anything in that building. However, the bank, who are they going to for evaluation? Are they talking to the head of construction? Are they talking to the architect? Are they talking to the project manager? No, they're going to the real estate appraiser. That's who they're going to for evaluation. It's no different in industry. You want to go to a specialist. If you have a heart problem, I say, are you going to go to your primary care physician? Or are you going to go to a cardiologist? Like, who are you talking to? So you want to make sure you're going to the best. And one of the things I started doing with the appraisers, because I was going globally to all the appraiser conferences and their their uh, their meetings, I started re- referring credentialed appraisers to customers, okay, because I made it easy. Where does a customer live? I made sure that I could match them, get them to an appraiser. That's within range of where they live to make it easy. So it's another organic service. So what happens is, is that customer doesn't have to think like, I have to find an appraiser. Who am I going to find? Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to go local to a local jeweler. who's not necessarily selling that proprietary stone that they purchased and might not know what it is. And they might bring out Jerry, the appraiser, Norm, the appraiser from the back office, and he'll be like, Oh my gosh! You know uh, he'll value it based on a generic price list, mm-hmm. and then boom, that customer has an undervalue, and then they're telling them, "But we can, we can definitely give you something that's better, that's bigger, that's this at a better price." I've seen it happen so many times, and. It's really because the customer didn't know where to go, you know, and I'm not saying that there aren't very credentialed appraisers affiliated with jewelry stores. There are, and I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, GGs that don't reach out because they understand I don't know what this is. I have to reach out. I have to find out what this is. So I'm just saying general, like the, as, as a brand, it's your responsibility to make sure your customer has the best experience and not just to reach them post-purchase with a birthday card or a holiday card or an anniversary card, but to hold their hand and tell them, I'm going to help you. I'm going to th- find the most experienced, most credentialed appraiser that it'll be easy for you to get to. And here's a list of questions you should ask the appraiser. And here's what you should know when you go for an appraisal. And, you know, once that happens, you've just taken a lot of a lot of the, the time and a lot of the anxiety of, because people want to get their pieces appraised. I have to insure them, and not every uh, person is going with necessarily the jewelry uh, uh, jewelry insurance that's that's out there. They might be going with their own homeowners insurance. So we have to make sure that people can get their pieces appraised and get insured because that's their that's their their piece. They don't want it lost or stolen and be out of pocket. So that's like one of the chains that I, set, I saw is very important. And I really, um, I really got in with the appraisal industry because I was educating. Instead of the organizations doing it, I was educating customers about the importance of visiting a credentialed appraiser. Yeah.
0: It's all about the customer experience, Tammy, right? It's
1: all about the customer. And the more you, information you give them, the more you help them, the more they trust you. And the more you make their lives easier and you take out anything that would make it hard, the more they, they want to come back because it was, you made their lives easier. And that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to serve. You
0: it's know? So I don't, true. I
1: don't want them to try to figure it out. Like there's no reason for them to like go crazy and figure it out and then get hurt. So <laughs> I've seen people <laughs> buy something and love it and then it, and undervalue and they hate it. And they're just, they're devastated. And you just lost all the trust. It makes and a lot no of sense. For
0: yeah. So, in addition to serving customers better, making their lives easier, what else do you think the jewelry industry
1: needs more of? <laughs> that's a good question. I would have said transparency, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's really coming full circle now. Um, I think that that transparency is definitely something that's happening. I think. The, the jewelers are looking to share their story of, and, and, and provide origin reporting and traceability and make it a priority to, um, have all this ready for the customer. So the customer doesn't have to ask, like now they're coming to the point where they're like, you know what, we want to provide this, this information. We want to make sure we have, we want to make sure that we know where our stones are coming from. Uh, we want to be as transparent as possible. I see that as a big shift. Um, I remember when I was at Conclave and, um, Marcus Leonis was speaking and I was thinking, wow, you know, he's talking about 47th street, like a lot of the, uh, the pushing and the way just, you know, pushing a sale and pushing a sale. And I, I think that most of the industry is now walking away from that. I think it's not about maximizing numbers. It's not about pushing people, selling them what you want, what you need to get rid of in your inventory. It's about listening. And I I see that. Uh, listening to the customer, giving giving them what they want. I see, you know, companies that are saying, okay, you know, uh, mining companies that are saying to their site holders, what do you need? What 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 rough will work best for your needs and your customer? Like I see more of a of this openness and this l- wanting to do do good and to make sure that the customer is protected, but also that Everybody's being buying with, what that that it's not being pushed, that it's being done in the right way, and I th- it goes back to ethics, and I feel like our our industry is really taking on a firm ethical stand today, and that Forty Seventh Street mentality from the past is kind of shrinking a lot.
0: That's really encouraging and positive to hear. I love that. So, what else would you like to share about your business and work, Tammy? I'd love to hear like what else you have going on let's Let's hear it.
1: Well, one of the things that um really lights me up you know besides besides you know this the, talking about this business and just you know uh, reading and breathing in everything that's going on and talking to clients and and talking just with colleagues and you know kind of finding out things that are going on i I, I love to read and i le- read the publications i um i started a business network for women and this is really what's lighting me up and we have quite a few people in it from the gem and jewelry industry it's, it's interesting but um it's a global network it's uh it's now a year and a half that this uh that we've been in existence it's called women beyond the table and I really feel like it's my dharma. I feel like this is kind of where I've been. I've been um, my path has been moving to. Um, what happened was when I was during COVID, when I was rethinking my business and re, you know, understanding that I need to change things and I need to work harder and and get new clients and open myself up and step into my power and, you know, create a website, create other things and start getting out there. I was like, wow, wouldn't it be great if I just had like a network of people I can trust for services? Because you know what? Like uh, copywriter, this, that, whatever I need. I was just thinking I'm Googling and I'm coming up with things and it's like 10,000 people hits. And then you you, you hit one person and you look at their website and what they do. And all of a sudden you have 10 days of automations because you downloaded one thing, that (laughs) you know? And I said, wouldn't it be nice just to like have a women who are like providing services. So I spoke with a couple of uh, colleagues who are friends cause I'm, I'm fortunate in them. Like most of my colleagues are my friends and um, they were like, I go, yeah, I think, I think this would be, they go, that's a great idea. You should do it. And I just feel like, yeah, this is, this is uh, what I, what I want to do. You know, it's just, I love it. And uh, we have, like I said, we have gem and jewelry people in the group too. So it's really fun. It's nice. It's a good group.
0: That's amazing.
1: I love that.
0: Well, Tammy, this has been awesome. I love learning more about you and sharing you with my listeners and viewers. Tell them where they can find you if they want to connect and learn
1: more. Sure. Okay, so you can find me very easily um, on Instagram, TC Brand Consulting. That's T is in Tom, uh, C is in Cat, Brand Consulting. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Tammy Cohen, which is TC brand consulting. Um, you can always Facebook too, TC brand consulting. And, um, I have a website, which is www.tcbrandconsulting.com. And, uh, you can reach me at Tammy at tcbrandconsulting.com too. So, um, I think that's all of my contact points and, um, yeah, I always, I always love, you know, answering. So I'm very, I'm very easy to, uh, to DM or, or to email or however you want to reach me.
0: Amazing. Thanks Tammy for your time. I so appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your story. It's been really fun.
1: Well, thank you, Larissa. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. I I find you very impressive. Um, I went to all of your lectures at Conclave and I was like, (laughs) wow, she knows what she's doing. And um, I'm really honored that you you had me on and I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. What did you think of Tammy? To learn more about her and her brand consulting services, visit tcbrandconsulting.com. You can also always email me, Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A, at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe, as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit